Welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I am your host this week, Ryan Phillips, and I've got a guest today that I've wanted to interview for a while, and he knows that, and I'm glad we were finally able to connect. Uh, he is the radio voice of the San Diego Padres, just wrapped up his first season as the lead play-by-play guy for their radio broadcasts. Uh, talented guy who who I think is just one of the best radio voices in baseball right now, and, and really somebody I think is going to get a really big national profile soon. So uh, Jesse Agler, it is great to have you on, man. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to do this. Oh, my pleasure, Ryan. Uh, fan of yours as well. Thank you for all the nice words. They were very over the top, uh, but appreciated. <laughs> and, and yeah, we have a good time. Yeah. So you're a South Florida guy, university of Miami, Miami grad. Uh, I know this was your, you just finished up your eighth season broadcasting with the Padres first, obviously as the lead guy. How do, how do you come to San Diego? Like chart that path. You graduate from college. How do you wind up as a broadcast guy for the Padres? Uh, very lucky, I guess, would be like the first thing to say. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think for a lot of people when we get into this industry, and I'm sure you can relate to this, um, you know, you have a point in, in, in your mind where you go, hey, I'm going to go wherever the work is. Um, and I've just been really, really lucky that the work has happened to be mostly in Miami, you know, the area I grew up and then out here in San Diego, which is, you know, quite literally the best place to live in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, you know, I, I've avoided a lot of the, you know, kinds of, you know, places and markets that I think a lot of people go through that uh, maybe aren't as desirable or as uh, sunny. Um, so I've, I've been really, really lucky, but yeah, I graduated college. I mean, forever ago now, Oh, four. Um, and my first job right out of college, I, got, I hopped in the car with my dad two days after graduation in Coral Gables, Florida, and we drove to Elkhart, Kansas. Um, which is in the southwest corner of the state, right? Nestled up against the Oklahoma Panhandle and Southern Colorado. And I'd never been to that part of the country before. Um, and I had gotten a job as the broadcaster for the, the the Elkhart Dusters of the Jayhawk League, which is like a wood bat summer league. Uh, the, the team does not exist anymore. In fact, that was their last year, unfortunately. They folded after that season. Um, so, you know, my dad and I drove out there together and then he flew home. Uh, and I, I did the summer out there. I drove back afterwards. Um, it was a wonderful experience. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's some, it's like really some of the best like professional memories of my life. Some hilarious things as you can imagine out there. You know, you're, the it's team's th- playing and yeah, yeah it's, it's getting thrown into the deep end right away. Yeah, for it's, sure. And there's like you know 150 people at these games, and like you know, the, you know, you just know. Literally, the only people listening to you are the players' families. So like that totally changes the dynamic and the job, right? Because like for sure, you're not there to be like Mr. Announcer guy. You're there to tell them how their kid is doing, and and they don't want to hear it in in a sort of <laughs> a critical way from some punk kid, you know, that doesn't know anything. So um, it was like a little bit of a different experience, but it was great. I loved it. Came back to South Florida after that summer. And uh, I had made some contacts at WQAM, which was like the big heritage sports radio station in Miami. And um, so I was lucky enough to kind of hook on as an update anchor there. Uh, you know, a couple of months after I got home, started working at QAM, um, just kind of did a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I ended up pitching a show to the program director like, hey, because the Mar- they were the Marlin flagship at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, you guys don't have anything on locally after this was back when radio stations actually had local programming most of the time. And I said, you don't have anything local on after the Sunday baseball games. Like they're all one o'clock games. I was like, can I do a, like a Marlins magazine show once a week? And he was like, sure. I did like this 30 minute PowerPoint presentation. And afterwards he goes, okay. And that was yeah, it. Sure, like, and I was like, it was like the most exciting thing in the world to me at the time, you know, I'm like 23 years old or whatever. And so I did that, that first season. And then um, I ended up kind of 
thanks to a guy, Steve Goldstein, who's now the, the TV voice of the Panthers, the hockey team. He was getting ready to become the radio voice of the Panthers that year. And he and I just kind of gotten to know each other at the station. And I think he was impressed by how seriously I took everything. And um, he had been the pre and post game host for the Panthers. And so he was going to become the play by play guy. And he basically recommended to them that they use me as the pre and post guy for hockey. Um, lucky for me, um, a, it went well, but B, the guy who was like the VP of broadcasting for the Marlins at the time was a Canadian and a huge hockey fan. Um, and so he listened to the broadcast all the time. So he asked Steve, he goes, Hey, who's this pre and post game guy? And he goes, Oh, it's Jesse. He's actually a huge baseball nut. You should definitely hire him. And next thing I know, after that first season with the Panthers, I'm going right into pre and post for the Marlins. Um, and I did a couple of seasons of that. I got to fill in doing play by play. So I was like 23, 24 years old doing MLB play by play, thinking I had wow. it all figured out. And uh, I'm giving you the very long version. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's, hey, we got we got we got room to work here, Jesse. Keep going. And uh, and and so I'm I'm you know you're 23, 24. You literally think you know everything. And I'm like, I got this. I'm the man. You know, like I'm doing play by play of a major league team. And then the Marlins switched flagship stations, and I worked for the station, not the team. And I was out. And that was it. And I went. That was in that was my last year with the Marlins was 07. And I did not broadcast another major league game until 2014 when I got to San Diego. Wow. Now I did a bunch of stuff in between. Um, almost out of the business real close in 2010. Um, uh, but I ended up getting a lot hired of people the around Dolphins. then. A lot yeah. of people around then almost got out of the business. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's yeah. exactly right. And it was kind of also like, you know, my, my now wife and I, you know, like we had just gotten engaged and I was doing traffic reports, um, for a news station because it was like full time. And she was like, you need a real job, not this $5 an hour, like no benefits thing. Um, cause she has like a normal career. And I was like, hanging on, hanging on. I go to do like the traffic reports of this news station that basically led to an audition with the Dolphins because they were switching flagships to come to where I was. And I crushed this audition with the Dolphins. They hired me almost on the spot um, to like host this new show they were putting together to do pre and post for them. I got to do uh, both radio and TV play by play for the Dolphins as well. Um, and that was kind of like the big break, if you want to you know, put it that way. And I did four seasons with the Dolphins and um Mike D was the Dolphin team president at the time. Wayne Partello was my boss of the Dolphins, and they both came to the Padres um, when the, the Padres had a big like shift. And they knew that I was a huge baseball guy, and that was kind of my true love, my first love, everything like that. And you know, some things that happened here were like not everybody was coming back. So they called me and they said, Hey, you know, what do you think of the Padres? And I was like, I love baseball. I've never been to San Diego, but I've never heard a bad thing about it. And so I, I flew out here and like, I don't know, January or February of, yeah, it'd be January of 2014. First time ever in San Diego. Uh, basically, they showed me around. They said, hey, what do you think about this you know, role? I said, let's do it. And I've been here ever since. And it's uh, the best thing that's ever happened to me professionally. You, you talked a lot about, you know, your passion for baseball and your passion for obviously your job, quite frankly, was there a point? I always like to ask people in sports media this, because as you said, you almost went out of the business and, and I feel like people get into sports media, not for the fame and the fortune and to be a lead play by play guy for a major league team, you get into it because you love yeah. the sports and, and if the other stuff comes great, but you, we do it because, I mean, I talked to friends who were in the business and I'm like, we don't work a single day. We we're talking about sports, you know, that's it's, it's, it's work. Obviously it's a profession, but we're not doing what other people do. And it's special. Was there a moment you realized you wanted to work in sports or was it just something, you know, growing up, did you go to a game that made you fall in love or, or was it just a feeling your whole life that this is what you wanted to do? I mean, I, I was like six or seven years old probably. And this was before the Marlins existed. We got the Mets on TV and radio in South Florida because there were so many right. transplanted New Yorkers there. 
And my dad was a big Met fan. I was a big Met fan growing up because of him. And I just remember watching games with him as a kid and almost immediately just being absolutely, I mean, fascinated doesn't begin to describe it, just enchanted by the broadcasters. Like the game was cool and I liked the game and I loved the game and everything like that. But it even at that age, the on-field stuff was secondary in my mind than to what the announcers were doing. And I was just completely like fixated on the announcers and what they did, TV and radio. And and, and from that point on, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to wear that cool headphone thing that those guys have on. I want to go to all these games. I want to go to all these stadiums. Like, that's it. And so I, I began like kind of mentally preparing myself to dedicate my life to that at that point. Um, you know, not even knowing, obviously, as a kid, like what the business is or anything. But um, I, I was that locked in on it from that age. That's not an exaggeration in any way. Um, and like, it's literally all I've ever wanted to do. And so, as you said, we don't work. You're right in this business. Um, it's a job, but we don't work. Um, so, so lucky that it has somehow, somehow worked out for me and that I've ended up, as I said, in this place, like I, I'd be, I'd be just as excited about it if it was Detroit or wherever, like, but, to to be able to couple the job with this place, um, is really extraordinary. So Ted Leitner was the the radio voice of the Padres for 40 years. You worked with him for years on broadcasts before he retired. And he retired yeah. last offseason. You get that call. Hey, Ted's stepping down. The job is yours now. What is that like? Especially with such an exciting team, you know, coming off that great season. What is it like to get that call and and, you know, something you've worked your whole life for? to sort of get that and, and understand what's what's coming forward for you. You know, I, I I really tried not to think about it too much in those terms because a, I was kind of like processing and B um, you know, I, you don't want to make a bigger deal about things in your head, or at least sure. I don't, I don't like to make things too big of a deal in my head because then it becomes a lot more of a, a challenge or whatever. Um, but, you know, I was very comfortable with the situation here. I loved working with him and it wasn't like some big change. And I guess that was the easy thing. Um, because, you know, now I work with Tony Gwynn Jr. And he and I had done, I don't know, hundreds of games together the last couple of years because when Ted was out, um, either to do San Diego State football or basketball or, or just to go, you know, take a couple of days off, I worked with Tony. So, you know, it wasn't like some big shakeup, you know, for me. It was kind of like, all right, let's go. And, and I really don't try to think a lot about that big picture stuff. There are absolutely moments where I sit back and appreciate, you know, where I've gotten because I, I do think it's important to have that gratitude. But, um, you know, I really try not to do it too much because it sort of distracts, you know, you know, from the task at hand. And I know that sounds like a coach or a player saying, hey, we're going to take it day by day. But that is the way you survive a baseball season um, and perhaps to some extent a baseball career. Um, but, yeah, obviously it's, you know, I I, I, I hate I, I hate to be like, oh, it's a dream come true because like all of this is a dream come true. Um, had that not happened, it still would have been a dream come true. Um, had I been fired five years ago, it still would have been a dream come true. Um, so, you know, I, I at some point, yeah, again, I know I sound like a cliche player. Like, oh, when I retire, I'll look back at it. But like that is a little bit of, of kind of the mindset that I have. Well, and it was interesting as a as a native San Diegan who has listened to Padres radio forever. It did not feel like a jarring change because you'd been on the broadcast, like you said, you did show you did games with Tony Gwynn Jr. for years. And, and side note, Tony, it's always funny when I turn on the radio and Tony Gwynn Jr. is on because he sounds exactly like his father. Yeah. And I grew up listening to his father, so it's always kind of like, oh no, it's Tony Jr. Okay, yeah, um, but it did feel like a smooth transition it didn't feel like this jarring change as a listener and that was done with intent you know to the to the mm -hmm. Padres credit you know I mean yes. this was this was like they were ready 
you know, I mean, they were they were ready and it was kind of like the the cannon was loaded and you just kind of had to. All right. When are we going to light this fuse? All right. We'll see how things go. But yeah, there was there was purposefulness and thoughtfulness that went into all of this. Um, and that doesn't always happen, you know, in these places, sometimes teams or, or whatever are caught off guard by something and, you know, they're left having to patchwork it and that doesn't do the audience any favors. So look, I'm glad you said what you said, and I'm appreciative of it because that's very much, I think what everybody wanted was that this would be as smooth as possible. Look, it's going to be different because, you know, Ted's literally been on, you know, Padre podcast for 41 years at that point. So it's going to sound different. Um, but we don't want it to be like, who are these guys? Um, and, and to have the familiarity of, of me who had been there at that point, you know, for seven years, uh, and, and for Tony, whose voice, as you said, is iconic in this town for multiple reasons. Um, you know, I think was hopefully, you know, something that made it as, as smooth a transition as possible for the fan base. Well, I've often said, and I've told you this privately, I think that San Diego has the two best booths in baseball with, with Don Orsillo and, and Mark Grant and you and Tony, you said, you know, you and Tony had done games for a long time. You guys had that chemistry built in. What's your relationship to the TV guys? Because I know you're, you guys are near each other and know each other. And I, you do TV sometimes. I mean, what, what is your relationship with those guys? And, 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 you know, is it something, is there camaraderie there? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, we're, we're a nice little dysfunctional family. I mean, it's, we spend, I mean, in a normal year and obviously the last two have not, um, but in a normal year, we spend an inordinate amount of time around one another. Um, you know, on the, again, normal year, I sit next to Don on the plane or solo. Um, we play cards and um, enjoy beverages and talk and tell stories. And I mean, some of those, you know, endless East Coast flights don't feel endless because he and I are just laughing and laughing and laughing and I'm, I'm beating his ass in cribbage and we're having a good time. <laughs> um, but like it's 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 cliche, but true. Like we spend more time around one another than we do our families, you know, during the baseball season. And so thankfully, you know, we all really get along. Uh, Mark Grant is one of the kindest and sweetest the um, people. He really is, you know, the, the, the color analyst on TV. He's just a wonderful man. Um, you know, Don and I have like very similar twisted senses of humor and like find the same things funny. And um, you know, Tony and I have, I, I, I hope you would agree with this. I think you would like, we turned into friends. Like it's not, and I can obviously say the same about Mark and Don who have known longer, but like, you know, we're, we're all buddies. And I mean, that I think comes through on the air. People talk about it all the time with Don and mud that it just sounds like, you know, they're two goofball uncles watching the game together. And like, that is, I've said many times broadcast Nirvana. Like I think, you know, as both a listener or viewer and somebody in the business, I think that's what we should all be aspiring to be is like, friendly and familiar and comfortable to the audience um, in baseball in particular, because of the currency of the game, the frequency of the game, the fact that we're there every single night with you for six months, seven months. Um, you know, I think it's really important that it, that it sounds like that. And so I think we've done a great job here of like making that happen. And so when I do slide over to TV and I'm working with mud, you know, I, I don't think that's jarring either to the, the fans. You know, I, I don't necessarily have with him what Don does because Don's the best, you know, TV broadcaster in, in MLB. But, um, you know, I think there is a chemistry and a camaraderie and a comfort there um, that it doesn't feel like some sort of giant hiccup when I fill in on TV. And then, you know, certainly on radio, Tony and I, it's a different it's a different sound than what they, they do on TV because Tony and I have different personalities. Don and Mudd are very similar in terms of like, what they find funny and and their sort of views on the the industry and baseball and that kind of thing. Tony and I, very different from them, but very similar to each other. Um, so I think it it really does work out very nicely. And and like I said, you know, you want people listening to feel like they're hanging out with their friends. And I think 
Don and Mud have done a brilliant job of that. And I think that's what, what Tony and I are, are, are starting to bring to the table as well. Well, I would say both booths have a very easy chemistry. Like it doesn't yeah. feel forced at all. It doesn't feel like you ever have to be, there's no dead air where it's uncomfortable, which is there's nothing worse as a listener than to hear just a blank spot in something where you can tell they just have nothing to say to each other. Yeah. And you guys are, are never in that area, which I think is what makes it so successful. And of course you're both smooth broadcasters and, and as are Don and Mud. So it, it all, you know, they're all very professional, but at the same time, there's, there's an easiness and a friendliness there that you can definitely pick up as you're listening. And, and I think listeners can tell when it's fake, you know, yeah. listeners can tell yeah. when it's, okay, these guys are kind of at each other's throats in real life, aren't they? You know, 100%. I think that, that's different. That's, um, that's, that's the importance of getting it right. You know, getting the pairing right. And, and that course. doesn't happen everywhere. Um, I, I could give you two hours. I won't, but I could give you two hours on like what I think a broadcast should sound like and how it can be different in different markets um, and, and with different fan bases. You know I mean? The, the expectation of the Cardinal fan is different than the expectation of the Padre fan and their expectation is different than the Marlin fan. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you, you have to be, and, and that's kind of the interesting thing, right? Because you, the four of us, Tony's the only one who grew up here, you know I mean? And, and, you know, but Mud has lived here for a long time. Don and I are relatively new to the market. I've been here since 14, Don since 16. But, you know, I think a really, especially as play-by-play guys, a really, really, really big part of our jobs is to kind of get a sense and a feel of the fan base and the audience and be like, all right, what are their expectations? What do they think? What did they grow up on? You know, what do they think a game should sound like? Now, you have to be yourself you know, first and foremost, but you can be different versions of yourself. Um, and Ted used to talk about that all the time. He said, cause he had a very distinct style and he used to say like, Hey, if I was doing the Yankee games, I wouldn't sound like this. Um, but you know, you, you sort of have that sort of professional understanding of, of uh, market to market. So this is a big moment. I want to talk about uh, at least for the Padres in your eighth game of the season in your, <laughs> you know, first year as the main, you know, the lead voice of the Padres, uh, the Padres broke their franchise skunk of thousands of games in their history without a no hitter. And by the way, your call was perfect. It was wonderful. I, all three of the calls, the Spanish language, yours and, and Don Arcillas were incredible. They, it just proved how lucky San Diego is to have you guys as broadcasters, but you get to call a no hitter eight games in, you know, Ted did it for 40 years, never saw it. Yeah. Uh, what was that moment like for you? Cause for the Padres, I mean, I had friends who grew up here who called me and said they were crying. You know, it was, we never thought it would happen. You know, I, my dad called me in the middle of the game. He's like, is this actually going to happen? Because I've got my hopes up way too many times. And I don't think it's going to happen ever. And so uh, what was that like for you? Because I know you know how important that moment was to Padres fans. It was it was surreal, first of all. Now, remember, road game, first road game of the season, by yes. the way. So we're at Petco in a dark stadium, you know, with the lights on in our booth, watching on television like everybody else and trying to make it sound like we're there and trying to make it, you know. So that made it a little bit different, certainly. Um, you know, than, than what we would have expected. Um, it goes back to what I was just saying about knowing the audience and understanding the fan base. I gave that call a lot of whatever you want to call it, energy, emotion, excitement, all those things, more than I'm comfortable doing generally. That's not my style. I'm not a screamer. I'm not like, I'm not going to give you, you know, Matt Vaskersian, like he's great at what he does. The, please don't understand, misunderstand, but like, that's just not who I am. So I don't often go to where I went for that call, but I know that that no hitter was this albatross. Forget the team to the fan base. It was just this annoying thing that was kind of out there. World series, obviously is like its own category, but this no hitter thing was just out there. And it's like, really, we're the only ones, especially since the Mets got it. And again, growing up as a Met fan, 
I remember where I was when Johan Santana threw his no hitter. I was watching on my iPad in my old apartment in Florida, um, you know, like standing up for the last six innings because I was like, well, this is where I am. I'm not going anywhere. So remembering how important that was to me as a Met fan and understanding that it's that times 10 for the Padre fans because it had been even longer. So I gave it everything I had. And thank you for the compliment on the call. But like it's it's different. Like I, a week or two later, whatever it was when Carlos Rodon threw his no hitter for the White Sox, I was driving home from our game as that game was concluding. And I put on White Sox radio. Len Casper was in his first year as the radio voice of the White Sox. Lenny is, as far as I'm concerned, pound for pound, as good of a broadcaster as exists in major league Mm -hmm. baseball. If you go back and listen to his call of that Rodon no hitter, which was like, I don't know, the 20th no hitter (laughs) in White Sox history or something like that. It was I don't want to say ho-hum, and it was a great call. Again, don't get me wrong. It was a great call by Len, but it couldn't have been any different from what we did, you know, Don on TV and and me on radio with Tony for like the moment because it wasn't as big of a thing. A no-hitter is always a big thing, but it wasn't as big of a thing for the White Sox as it was for the Padres. And so it, and and you add the Joe Musgrove element, the local kid, all of that, like, combined together it was as big of a moment i knew as this fan base had in years years and i wanted to treat it as such on the air so i went kind of outside of my own comfort zone um to to give it what i did and 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 i'm glad that it was well received because it wasn't comfortable to do um you know to kind of get that crazy about it but that's what i felt that's genuinely what i felt and it's also kind of what I, i i felt was necessary for the moment for this fan base. Yeah. I mean, it felt like a whole weight was lifted yes. off the fan base. Yes. I mean, it really did as a, as a, as a guy who grew up a Padres fan, that felt like I've seen so many guys get so close and to finally close that chapter. I mean, know, even I in my, in my eight, at that point, seven seasons, really, I'd seen a bunch of no, you know, near no, no's. Um, and then, you know, that that's only in my seven years. So I had kind of gotten the firsthand frustration. How about this? The first game I ever filled in for Ted, my first year, my first game, calling a game for the Padres, I think 2014, April of 2014 against the Tigers. Uh, Andrew Kastner took a, I think a perfect game into the eighth, seventh or eighth. And, and that was, you know, Ted uh, called me after that game and he was like, if that would have happened, what I would have done to you, you know, like, (laughs) um, sounds like Ted. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and it was like, Oh man, I can't believe it. And then Despagne against the Mets a couple of years ago. It was a Sunday afternoon. I was doing that game on TV with Mark Sweeney. Uh, and then I remember Jordan Lyles had one. Tyson Ross had like 130 pitches into the eighth inning or something like that against the Diamondbacks a few years ago. That's just in my time yeah. here, you know, all these near misses. You add in going back to 69 and Clay Kirby and uh, all the different things that, you know, nearly happened. So yeah, I I got it. And as you said, I think for Padre fans, it was like, all right, one less thing for other fan bases to lord over us right now. Um, and and the Musgrove factor just took it to the next level. So you did you touched on this a little bit in that uh, in that discussion. But it, what has it been like the last two years not being on the road with the team full time? I mean, what what have you missed most about that as a broadcaster and also just as a you know person getting the as you, as you said, the camaraderie, the broadcasters yeah. traveling together and stuff like that. But from both perspectives, what, what have you missed the most about being on the road? I mean, just like uh, nuts and bolts, being able to see the game you're broadcasting well, um, you know, is, is the first thing. And, and we started radio uh, traveling a little bit part time the back end the last couple of months of last year. So we're very fortunate and, and huge credit to the Padres for making that happen because it was not easy. And I think by the end of the year, there were only about a dozen teams in baseball uh, who had their radio crews on, on the road, even a little bit. We were one of them. So very fortunate and very appreciative of the Padres for making that happen. But um, yeah, like being able to actually see the game and be there and, 
um, talk to the announcers for the other teams. You know, so much of your comfort level discussing another team comes from those conversations. Now, look, with the Dodgers and Giants, Rockies and Diamondbacks, we see 19 times a year. It's maybe not as critical as it is when we're seeing the Cardinals for the first time in five months. And it's like, all right, what's going on here? Um, but, you know, being able to, to talk to people who are around those teams every day, whether it's a writer or a PR person uh, or a broadcaster, really helps, I think, paint your own picture of, you know, what's going on with them and how you talk about them. So that that's from a professional standpoint, you know, what it is, again, aside from the obvious of actually being able to, like, see the field. Um, and then, you know, from a personal standpoint, yeah, like that camaraderie of, like, being on the plane and, and hanging out and, and, and the connection with the players, too, and the coaching staff. I mean, the road is where you do all of your good bonding, as I like to say. Um, you know, you're the relationships that you build with the players, the trust that you build with the players and the coaches. It starts with them seeing you on the plane and at the hotel, because that sort of differentiates you right from like a beat writer or somebody who doesn't work for the team. Like they know because they've been told and most of them understand our business. Like they know that we're there to make them look good. But I think it takes it to the next level when they see you on the plane and at the hotel. It's like, OK, he's one of us. Um, so that allows you to, to, to sort of build the relationships and build the trust that, you know, I can go to somebody you know, on the team and be like, Hey, help me understand X, Y, or Z a little bit better. So that on the air, I'm giving a more um, thorough and accurate description of, you know, a dynamic at play or something. So, you know, all that stuff is just critical to being able to do the job in a way that is something other than here's the two, two pitch, you know I mean? Like that stuff's important and that's the nuts and bolts of the broadcast, but you want to be able to add everything else that goes along with it. Those insights, those stories, those personal touches, like, the example that is, you know, sadly so good to use is like Jake Cronenworth just finished his second season with the Padres. I had never met Jake. I'd never shaken his hand until like July of this year because I never got to him in spring training before the shutdown when he was new in 2020. You know, I make my rounds to the new guys and, I, you know, one or two guys a day. I just hadn't gotten to him when COVID, you know, shut spring training down. And then we didn't have any access to the players until July of this year. So like Jake Cronenworth, who was like, all-star player and a hugely important piece of the 2020 and 2021 Padres. Like I knew who he was. He knew who I was, but we never met, you know, until this past July. And so that was like, I just think of like all the things that, that were missed, you know, because of zoom or not being able to talk to these guys or not being able to pull somebody aside and having a brief, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, so I, I do think like the broadcasts really were not as good as they could have been league wide um, and across all the sports because of, you know, that sort of lack of access we had to the, to the players. And so getting that back last year, I think was awesome and, and is such an important piece of what we do. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that those, those personal touches that you can add into a game from, Hey, I was talking to so-and-so before the game and yeah. this is, you know, and, and that kind of insight is, is always just an added layer to the broadcast that really has been missing from baseball for a couple of years now and in most sports. Um, there's an interesting dynamic here because you've done TV and radio and you do TV and radio. I think a lot of fans when they're watching don't realize they're two completely different jobs. And I'm just wondering, what do you think is the biggest difference between doing when you're, you know, are you that you're conscious of when you do TV and radio? Yeah. I mean, like on a very basic level, you just, I don't want to say you talk less on TV, although you do, but you talk differently on TV um, yeah, I had somebody once tell me that the biggest difference or, or the, the, the thing with TV and radio play by play, uh, the only thing they have in common is that you are at a game and you have a microphone like that outside of that, it's totally different. And, and that's maybe oversimplified, but there's a lot of truth to it. Um, you know, obviously on radio, the audience cannot see what's happening. So you're, you know, public speaking one-on-one know your audience, 
my radio audience is a guy or a gal, whatever, you know, sitting in traffic on the five. Okay. And they can't see the game. They're probably a little bit distracted by, you know, driving. Um, and, and so you're, you're just trying to provide a pleasant background, you know, soundtrack, soundtrack, uh, to their experience. Maybe they're at the beach, maybe they're barbecuing in the backyard, whatever. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're making sure that they're getting the information that they need to get to know what's going on in the game. Primarily, of course, the score, the count. And, you know, if there's a ball in play, which doesn't happen that often these days, um, you know, what, what's happening with that ball TV, know your audience, they can see it. They can see it. Um, so you're, you're walking that tightrope between, um, you know, describing what's happening um, in much less detail than you do on TV. Like on TV, I'm talking about, you know, a, a fly ball to left field, uh, you know, Tommy Pham over towards the line. Now he comes in a couple of steps, reaches up with one hand, makes the catch. On TV, really, all you're going to say is, you know, no, in the air to left, one away when he makes the catch. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a totally different thing. Now, between action, a lot of differences as well. Radio, there's a lot of talking about the count. There's a lot of talking about, you know, who's on base. Hey, reminding the audience and yourself to some extent. Hey, first and second, one away. Runners take their leads. TV, they can see that. Now you're going to say it sometimes if you're trying to sort of, you know, underline or bold a moment, you know, that, hey, something's important here. Runners on first and second. But, you know, you're not necessarily doing that every time. So it leaves a lot more air on TV to have a conversation with your partner or to like get into stories or whatever it might be, because you could go three minutes between balls and play. And when the guy is fouling back six straight, you know, and looking at, you know, two pitches and it's now three and two, three and two, three and two, three and two, you don't have to describe every single thing that's happening. Now, if there is action, you flip back into that mode of calling the moment and the action. But in between, I'd say is like where the biggest differences lie. And it, it it's fun doing both for me because they are totally different. And I kind of enjoy, um, you know, the, the challenge, I guess, of, of what they each bring. Yeah, it is. It is interesting how guys can jump back and forth and it's just incredibly smooth. I feel like a, a lot of younger broad, I feel like back in the day, broadcasters were either radio guys or TV guys. And I feel like this new sort of generation of broadcasters can do everything. You know, it, it, it's sort of like how writers these days are all podcasters, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's like there's like a, 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 the ability to do multiple things in this business. Is, is you know, what's so great, too, is like right now is that anybody basically can have access to anything. Right. You know, so you can go to YouTube or you can subscribe to one of the services, but you don't even have to. And you can hear every TV and radio broadcaster in whatever sport you want and you can study them and you can learn them and you can kind of pick up those differences. You know, when I was growing up, not to sound like an old guy, but like, you know, you, you had what was on television in your market and that was it. So you only knew those guys um, and you didn't understand what was going on elsewhere. So that was like for me, you know, one of the, the growing pains, I guess, of, of the business was like, all right, I don't have to do it the way I heard it growing up because there's a million other ways to do it, which you didn't really realize at the time. Now, I don't think people have those sort of constraints around them, and that definitely makes them better broadcasters, no doubt. I think, think for, for sure the the openness of the internet and being able to find yeah. whatever you need really really helps people train. So this, this season obviously started off with huge expectations for the Padres. Uh, late season collapse was stunning. There's been a lot of you know postmortems on it nationally. Did you see anything from your vantage point with that team that just it, as they trailed off, I mean, from the broadcasting seat, you know, what did you see? And, and, you know, did you just see a struggle happening daily? Yeah. I mean, it, it felt a little bit like a snowball situation and, you know, you, you hate to say that or think it because a, it's probably not, it's probably too simplistic 
you know, to describe something as complicated as how a team with that much talent ended up, you know, finishing the year the way they did. Um, but, you know, maybe I, I, I couldn't pinpoint the date for you off the top of my head, although it could probably go back, you know, to my scorebook and figure it out. But, you know, sometime in, in early August, I guess, you know, it was like, all right, this this doesn't feel great. But you just kind of kept, excuse me, thinking to yourself like, all right, they do have all this talent. They do have all these guys like they'll figure it out. But then some pitching injuries happened and then it was just sort of one thing after another, after another, and you sort of look up and it's the end of September and they are where they are. And you go, wow, that's, that's a pretty stunning, uh, you know, regression. And, and, you know, I think at that point you almost expected there to be major changes as of course turned out to be the case with the manager and the coaching staff. And, um, you know, obviously there will be roster turnover as well between now and opening day. Uh, but yeah, it was, um, it, it was, it was a thing where, you know, it was, it was fairly easy to identify in real time that things weren't right but you didn't necessarily have a sense of how off they were or like how low it could go. Um, and then as, as I think we saw in 2019 with the Padres, like there did come a time when you just sort of felt like, all right, the wheels are off and like, it, it's going to be what it's going to be. And so that's why, you know, I don't necessarily look at the final record as necessarily like indicative of too much because those last, I don't know if it was three weeks or whatever, you know, it was kind of like, all right, like, they're out, you know, and so you He's all playing sudden, out the string, basically. Yeah. And, and you know, all of a sudden roster decisions are different. Games are being managed differently. Um, you know, guys are getting days off when they normally wouldn't get days off. Um, and I get it. Like you are what your record says you are. But, you know, I think once it, it became clear that they weren't going to be in the postseason, things did change a little bit. And then, you know, like you said, it's just sort of like, all right, let's uh, hold on tight, get down the mountain and uh, and we'll regroup for next year. And unfortunately, that's where they ended up, because, as you said, the expectations at the beginning of the season were uh, were extraordinary. So I think that the they went out and hired Bob Melvin, which shocked everybody. Uh, what was your reaction to that? I mean, he's coming from the A's where he's been wildly successful and seems to be exactly what the franchise needs is sort of that veteran voice uh, for the for the players and for the clubhouse. I mean, what was your reaction when you first read that? I mean, my first reaction was, wow, like because it came out of nowhere. Right. You know, I mean, they did an incredible job of keeping it quiet, which is such a difficult thing to do in today's day and age to state the obvious. Um, but I, I was thrilled. I was thrilled. You know, one of the first trip Tony and I went on this year actually was to Oakland in early August. And, um, I, I got to catch up with a lot of people there who I know really well. And, you know, Melvin was just a guy who was regularly talked about as everybody's favorite, the player's favorite, the broadcaster's favorite, the writer's favorite, the front office, like everybody just, he was like universally admired and respected. And to some extent beloved, like he was just, he was, he was an it factor guy and he doesn't necessarily look like it. He's just this like, you know, regular looking dude, he's six, four and he's got glasses and nice hair. And like, he's just a 60 year old guy, but like he has some kind of it factor that really translates. And I'm looking forward to discovering that a little bit more. You know, I only got to spend a few minutes with him the other day. Um, that was my first time, you know, really being around him in a, in a one-on-one -on -one scenario, but, um, just the admiration that everybody has for him is extraordinary. So I never considered him an option. I think like everybody else outside of the Padres baseball uh, operations inner circle that said, all right, let's put a list together of who would be the perfect manager. Um, and, and let's find out if we can make it happen, even if the guy's under contract. And it kind of feels like that's what they did, which is pretty cool. I mean, you don't, you don't hear that very often, but obviously the Oakland situation is, is I guess somewhat unique, um, you know, between the financial and sort of where that roster is going and everything that he's put in, because normally you can't just go and get a guy like that. Um, but the Padres did, I mean, without sounding too much like a, a team shill, which I know I am like, it, it feels like the perfect hire to me. It really does. 
And, and, and the people I know in Oakland told me that they have the same opinion. Um, and, and, you know, they don't care about the Padres. It doesn't matter to them what the Padres do, but they were like, as baseball people, man, that is such a good fit. And it really does feel that way. And I'm, I'm extremely excited to see what he does with this team. Yeah. I, I, one thing about the Padres, they always kind of keep you on your toes. I mean, they, they, they yes. swing big, they swing big. <laughs> and what is that like for you as a broadcaster when you see, you know, the trade deadline in, in 2020, uh, they, they bring in this whole slew of new players and make big moves. I mean, the off season last year, it was, it seemed like every day there was a new acquisition, Snell, Darvish, you know, Hassan Kim and uh, Musgrove. And then they signed Tatis to this huge deal. I mean, what is that like for you? I mean, does that just get you excited for the season to start? Like you want it to start now so you can call the games with these yes. guys and get to know them and everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm like a fan, you know, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I'm still like a huge baseball fan and I have become a huge Padre fan, you know, being around them the way I am. And so, yes, I mean, I get as excited as everybody else on Twitter uh, when they go out and they make a move like that. I mean, the Darvish Musgrove thing was incredible. Uh, excuse me. The Darvish Snell thing was incredible. And then you add Musgrove, like you said, a couple of weeks after that. And it was just like, wow. And yeah, I was like banging on the table, like, let's get to spring training. Let's get to spring training. Um, it's 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 fun. And so, yeah, I mean, I go through those same up, same ups and downs. I think as anybody else in the fan base does in terms of watching it. Now I might be able to get a little bit more insight and maybe a little bit sometimes of a, a hint of something that's coming uh, that I can't share. But you know, when, when something does come out of nowhere, like the Melvin deal, I mean, it excites me. And, and I'll tell you what, the Musgrove acquisition last winter was the one that got me most excited. Um, and I could probably dig up my texts to Orsillo um, the day that it happened. And he and I were just giddy. Cause it was like, this is the exact kind of guy. He's kind of workhorsey, you know I mean? He's not, he's not like a flashy name like the other two. And we were excited about the other two. Don't get me wrong. But like, it was like, man, that's like a good middle of the rotation. And he ended up obviously exceeding everybody's expectations. Um, that was before you even get to the local angle and the fact that he's Which gives you stories all, all year. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, we uh, speaking for the other announcers, like we're fans, we want the Padres to win. Our job is a, a lot easier and be a lot more fun when the team is good. Um, and, and so we feel that energy from the fan base. We get excited by what happens. Um, you know, in terms of off-season acquisitions and everything like that and managerial hires in this case. So, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely gets me fired up when all that stuff happens. So I'm going to ask you about a question I'm sure you get a lot, and it's it's going to be my final question, and I think it's the big one that a lot of people will be interested in, just your response to it is, what's it like to go to work and watch Fernando Tatis play every day? And to know also that, God willing, you're going to get to watch his whole career. You know, uh, what is it like just to get to watch that guy do what he does on a daily basis, especially at his age. So Ted always told the story that, you know, he, he knew every night he got to watch Tony Gwynn take four or five at bats. And that that was like the great thrill of his career. And that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. And I I'm appreciating it already, you know, what three years in at this point um, with at least 13 more to go. I think, you know, if I have my uh, contract information, correct. Uh, it's, it's an honor. It's a thrill. It, um, it's as good as it gets. Like the fact that he's locked up. And so we don't have to have the thing in the back of our mind about, well, what's going to happen in free agency in three years? You know, I mean, like you don't have to go through that the way maybe the Cub fans did with Bryant. Um, you know, the way so many, you know, fan bases have had to do with guys. Like you have a face of the franchise guy and he has signed what were in his words, which I love to statue contract. You know, a contract that's going to end up with him having a statue out, um, you know, at the ballpark somewhere. Um, and that that's certainly the trajectory that he is on. 
look, there's uh, there's only going to be a handful of us who get to say we got to watch every game or whatever, you know, that, that Fernando Tatis Jr. played and to be able to broadcast it and to be able to be around him. Um, it's it's an honor and a thrill. It really is. And he is a wonderful kid and still a kid, which makes it that much easier. Um, you know, there are plenty of guys with extraordinary talent who are not necessarily the best guys, um, but, you know, they're still fun to watch. He's the whole package. He really is. And, um, you know, I think the fan base has a great appreciation for how fortunate they are that he is here and that he is theirs. And uh, I certainly share in that. Well, Jesse, it was great getting to interview you finally, man. Uh, we've we've been in touch for years and never got a chance to sort of sit down and do this. And and it was a thrill. And, and uh, just want to say, uh, first of all, a belated congratulations for your position with the Padres. And, and you do a great job. You and Tony both are, are fantastic on the call. And uh, it was it was great to get to sit down with you and talk today. I appreciate you taking the time, man. No, my pleasure. It was uh, it was fun and enjoyable. And um, yeah, I, 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 anytime and hopefully, you know, at some point we can have a conversation, uh, rehashing what it was like to, you know, to be a part of a world series parade or something like that, because that's, that's the only thing left now, man, that, that no hitter is taken care of. It's gone. We got the cycle out of way, got the no hitter <laughs> and now it's nothing but world series. Hey everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, this was the press pass podcast to keep it tuned to this channel for, for more interviews, keep it tuned to the big lead for all the latest in sports. And we will be back with another episode real soon. Thanks a lot.